All right, today I have Mary Sheer Bigler back again. And even though we're walking through Mary's life today, we're going to take a little bit of a a little bit of a rabbit hole to talk about this big house in Timber Lake and it is the biggest house and it, it I think a lot of people have a lot of fond memories there. And I'm calling it the big house because that's what Mary called it. I don't know what I would what I would call it otherwise. So as a <laughs> reminder, we're talking to Mary Shear who lived most of her life in Timber Lake, was born in 1933 and had 13 children. So we're walking through that life, but we're going to talk about how her uncle Sam lived in the big house and then her parents and we're going to kind of walk through that. So Mary Tell us about what you know about the house being built, and then if you can remind us of your Uncle Sam and your dad and how they got here from Minnesota, and then how your Uncle Sam ended up at this house. Okay. Okay, well, I believe the Uncle Sam came out here, I believe, in about, I don't know if he came in 1910 or 11, and he did homestead. Uh, way north of Timber Lake. It must have been 1911 because he didn't get a choice, but it was right on the border of Standing Rock. And then he was able to lease some land, and uh, that is where he built his homestead shack, mm-hmm. which wasn't really a shack because it had siding. It wasn't just tar paper. It had siding. I have pictures of that that I want to put in our history. And uh, it even had a screened-in porch, but his fiance had come from a, a family in Minnesota that, you know, had some means. And so he wanted a nice home for his fiance, my Aunt Mary Shear, did her mm-hmm. And so uh, he brought her out here. And uh, I know it was told me that they had help in the house. I wouldn't say servants, but they had probably some hired girls in her home. And she came out to this prairie shack with no help, of course, no water, no anything, but uh, she did very well. She was a very resourceful woman, and she had a wonderful personality, and she was my favorite aunt. I always wanted to look like her, although there was no blood relations between her. I remember when people would say I looked like my mother's sister. I would say, why doesn't anybody say I look like Aunt Mary? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that is how he and she got here. Do you think it's because she was dressed up- fancy, Mary? And she was kind of, you know, and, and so she was a little bit different? No, she wasn't. Okay. She had, uh, she was maybe used to nicer things. She was very thrilled. Her parents sent a wash machine with her, which was a wash machine that had a lever on the side with which you activated the agitator. And you would push that lever back and forth to wash the clothes. And that was a big step from the washboard. Mm -hmm. And it had a ringer on it, so she didn't have to wring clothes by hand. So that was a big, the ringer was also cranked by hand. But those were great improvements. And, uh, Uh, my mother said to one time, they were close friends. And one time mom was up there and Aunt Mary had taken one of her old coats and she was turning it inside out because the inside looked new yet. And she was making a coat for her daughter. Hmm. And my mom said she paused while she was cutting this coat out. And she said, oh, Mame, I would just give anything for some new material. Hmm. So those were tough times. But, uh, I know from what 
her son wrote, Father Sheer wrote about her. He said she was always humming and singing and reciting poetry. And so she had just a, a wonderful disposition, I think. Mm. And, and uh, okay, so I'm going to reiterate the family tree a little bit just because it gets a little bit confusing at times when it's not your family. Yeah. So your Uncle Sam came out here in 1910 or 11, which is at the origin of the town. So this is kind of a big deal. Was your dad here already or did they come at the same time? No, Uncle Sam was older and Uncle Clem had preceded Sam. And then Sam came and they both homesteaded. And my dad did not come and they were all brothers. And my dad did not come till about, I think, 1916. Okay. And my dad was 20 at that time. Okay, so we're in the teens. And then it's still a rough time. Yeah, There's and no... he came out and he kind of worked for his brothers. Mm-hmm. And then, believe it or not, eventually he was working in the garage in Timber Lake. Sam or your dad? Kind of as a mechanic. So, because he was young enough, I suppose, you know, and the cars were, cars were simple. Mm-hmm. And he worked there a few years. And then when he and my mom got married, they rented a farm, which uh, we now own as part of our holdings. It was the Bill Jolly place north of the highway, just right north of the highway a little bit, oh, about a mile or so up north, directly across from the turnoff to our original home. And uh, then he didn't rent that too long, and then my mom's mom died in 21, and uh, her father did not want to stay in Timberlake any longer, so then they rented my mother's parents' home, which is was the same quarter on which uh, Bruce and Huli Maher live. Hmm. Uh, my grandpa's house wasn't in the same location. It was on the southwest corner of that quarter of land on which they live. Okay. So, you know, we're just tied all around to everybody, it seems like. With yeah, no kidding. And- tied to the current owners of the big house. So we'll come back to the big house. So Uncle Sam moved here in 1910. Oh. He's at this nice house screened in porch with siding in 1910 but his fiance is a little bit fancier she's from east river she's from minnesota she comes out she's very resourceful she can use an old coat to make a new coat for her daughter she's very jovial she has some children one of them ended up being a priest i feel like i feel like that priest actually lived with you later in life that's worth mentioning yes um so we're on uncle sam and aunt mary it gets confusing because there's a lot of marys but your mom was we called her me was it really mamie was that her real name it was mamie it was Mamie. her name was mary but no (laughs) one knew that in town yeah well it would just be easier if her name wasn't mary story but her name was mary it was, I think, yeah. how many marys could i've already texted the wrong mary this morning so we've got mamie and nick are your parents who move out here six years after your uncle sam and you mentioned that your uncle sam so he's he's homesteaded up north we're not we have not accomplished the big house yet but he starts the coal mine right you mentioned he started yeah. the coal mine so tell us about that yeah, and then did. tell us a little bit about how okay. they moved into town Okay, well, Father Shear wrote an extensive history about that, and I'm going to leave that with the museum. And uh, I, that's where I get a lot of information. Uh, I don't think he started the coal mine until the 1930s. I'm not sure when. Uh, it was before 37, I know that. And he rented a quarter of land. He had gone up there, and I think the other big coal mine 
that became Runkles was Runkles at that time was already mining. And so he got, he looked at some land. It's exactly, it's where uh, the bolts live uh, at Firesteel there. Mm-hmm. It's just south of Firesteel a little bit and mm-hmm. uh, west of the highway, mm-hmm. I think. I it west. Of the, yeah, it's west. Yes. It's west on the highway as you're heading south on the highway that quarterland and I I think that Traversy owned it at that time and Uncle Sam rented the land from Traversy and I can't remember I would have to reread that I think that Traversy also got a a share of the coal production you know mm-hmm. and I can I that a, could always be researched I have I, a question I, that's written in fathers I mean there's yeah. 20 okay. years between moving to Timberlake well, and starting that, the coal mine. Yeah. So what happened? But what was yeah. he? Why did he move here for land to farm? He moved here because yeah, uh, there was not much room in Minnesota for expansion mm. for anybody to buy land. Still the same problem. I think their father maybe had maybe a quarter or two quarters, and uh, I know my grandpa raised vegetables and did a did big gardening and the kids helped and then he took them by horse and cart into Minneapolis to sell vegetables in the streets. And I know that, but okay, then from 1911 or so, Uncle Sam was farming and raising cattle and doing, you know, the farm scene. Uh, The depression came. I'm sure he got through the 1920s okay. Maybe I don't know about that. Uh, I don't know exactly, but anyhow, I know that he eventually lost or gave up that homestead. He didn't lose it. He gave it up because he was probably 20-plus miles from town, and the children were getting to be school age, and uh, they did they, they weren't going to go to school in town, but you know it, they were far from town. And so he moved his homestead shack several miles south. I am not sure who owns that land right now. I know it was right on, they, Father Shear always called it High Bank Creek. Hmm. And that was maybe, I know it was north of where Pius lived, a couple miles. And it was right on the north side of the creek mm. that he set his farmhouse okay. or his homestead house. And I think they built onto it a little again. They moved it. That was amazing. I don't know how they moved it, but they moved it there. Yeah. They and, deconstructed uh, it, moved it, and reconstructed it. I'm just joking. <laughs> just no, like the houses other. had basements. They had, and I don't even know if it had a cellar. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and it was maybe set on rocks. A lot of them just had rock foundation. I don't know what he had. Do so you think that was in but, the 20s? Uh, that house stood there for a long time. And actually, Emil and Mary Ann lived in that house okay. as young married as a young married couple at one time. And okay. it was still, it had no running water when they lived in it. Okay. I might know where that and is. And that was in about 55 or 6. Okay. Everyone just exchanges the houses. And then he, he moved his house there. And I would say, I would have to look with, and I would say he didn't, he just kind of kept doing some farming and stuff. And of course then, uh, when the depression hit and cattle were a dollar a head, 
you could sell them to the government for a dollar or $10 a head. I don't remember which. It was very cheap. I've heard both stories. And then the government would just shoot them and bury them. You know, it was, they were worthless. Mm-hmm. It's terrible because there were soup lines all over the United States for people. And here they were killing the cattle and just throwing them in a pit, you know. And I think other livestock, I think pigs, everything, everything was worthless. Mm. Grain had no price. Mm. So many of the farmers went broke at that time. And I don't know if Uncle Sam went broke. I don't think he did because this, you know, it, it just the 20s, I don't have much information on. I have more on my parents. So I don't yeah. have much about Uncle Sam and Aunt Mary in that period. Yes. So and then I know in the. Oh, go ahead. I think he started the coal mine in uh, just by renting a little quarter and he started uh, uncovering the coal with horses and uh, scoop that the horses pulled, you know. And uh, I think the first year the guys that worked for him, part of their pay was paid in coal for them to, you know, for, for their personal use and probably not much cash. I know the Runkle Mine, Grandpa Ben worked at the Runkle Mine, and he said he got a dollar a day. And I think if he took his horses, he got $3 a day, his team. But I think he also had to take the feed for the oats and stuff for the horses at noon or whatever. Mm. Uh, So, you know, it was a totally different picture. But the thing... Nearly everyone was in the same situation. And from what my parents told me, they still had, you know, get-togethers in each other's homes. I think they still had dances where music was just, wasn't a band, it was maybe a violin or, as they would say, a fiddle. And, uh, you know, it was a very simple life, but I think, it was hard, but they didn't seem despondent. Yeah. The sim- the best things in life are simple, right, Mary? You know, that just gets truer the longer I live. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And, I mean, they were, I, I think that generation truly was an amazing generation. Their ability to just go on, you know, was amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, then... I do remember my mom and I going to visit Aunt Mary in the big house. I was born in 33, and I I think it was about 37. And my cousin Darlene was born in 35. And my first memory of that house is I remember sitting on the floor. I mean, it had a, well, you know, the living room was huge. And, And I wasn't so much taken by the house. I was just. I did really appreciate, even as a little kid, it was special. It was really nice. And I just remember sitting on the floor playing blocks with Darlene, my cousin, and we became very close. Um, I think it's impressive that you remember when you were four. celebrated every holiday together. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Yes. Will you, re- this? will you repeat that? Yes. Yeah, I was going to say that the Shear family is my, my uncle Clem, who also was here and my uncle Sam and my dad and our family, all of our families celebrated every holiday. Uh, my mom's holiday, they divided them up. My mom's holiday was Thanksgiving. 
and that meant everyone came to our house. My mom furnished the meat and potatoes and maybe, you know, some other little, I can remember she always made date bread. I still like to have date bread for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had Christmas at the big house with at Uncle Clem. I mean, Uncle Sam and Aunt Mary, and everybody was there, Uncle Clem's family. And we had New Year's at Uncle Clem's house. And my cousin Margaret was married by the time I was in early school, or maybe even before I went to school. And and she eventually had Easter. So we had our regular routine, and, you know, um, Darlene and I were the youngest of the cousins, Darlene was the very youngest. And uh, we had some, our cousin Marie, now Margaret Caswell and Marie Enright were daughters of my Uncle Clem. And they lived where he homesteaded the place where Perry and Stacy Keller live now. And he did come out also from Minnesota in 1910. And uh, so Margaret and Marie were my first cousins. But when I was small, I was sure they were my aunts because I can't remember when they were not married and had, they had children my, about my age. One boy was older and one was, a, they were both older. The two older ones, Jack was one year older and uh, Gary Enright was younger. I don't know when Gary was born, maybe, maybe 39 I, I can remember him being born, but I don't uh, remember the date. I, and I, I don't have information, much information on that family. Okay. Except those my are your memory. second cousins. So, I love that you spent, yeah, so, that, that you had a regular holiday at everyone's house. We did have a regular, and like the Enrights eventually lived where Carmichael's, Carmichael's and Deb Ellen and Heidi live. Now, they, they lived there. They lived other places, but they lived there, which was, just a cut across from our pasture where David and Jackie live, and I would ride my horse over there and go over and... Did you say your horse? We'd raise... Yeah, we'd we'd visit with the boys because they were about our age, and we'd spend, you know, a couple afternoons in the summer together like that, too. Mm. But back to the big house, Mm. I remember especially Aunt Mary's, the Christmas tree was always a big, huge... Uncle Sam always got a big Christmas tree for them. And uh, it sat in the living room in the corner on the east side of the fireplace. And uh, I, I just, that tree just stands out in my mind as a big issue. Uh, another room in that house that was very dear to me was um, upstairs. There was an unfinished little room. It is now, it was later finished with uh, knotty pine. And it was a sloped ceiling, and it was kind of just an attic room when I was young. Mm-hmm. But it had its own door, and uh, that was kind of Darlene's playroom. And I remember spending hours up there with her playing dolls and having tea parties, and you know, which were generally Kool-Aid and crackers. And uh, <laughs> so, and sometimes my aunt Mary would frost graham crackers and tint the frosting pink or mm. blue and I that was that was so much better yeah very special so those are just aren't those strange memories but mm-hmm. I actually know, can't they, believe they, they had Kool-Aid in the I can't believe they had Kool-Aid in the 30s 
Yeah, they did. It came in little packages that I think were a nickel a package. And, of course, there was no sugar in them. You had to add your own sugar. Mm. And uh, it wasn't anything we had daily, but, uh, you know, Aunt Mary would make it for our tea parties. Mm. And, of course, lemonade was a lot more prominent. But, really, uh, there wasn't access to fresh lemons. Mm Mm-hmm for a very long season. Sure. So I think that's where the Kool-Aid came into being. Right. Probably. I don't know that, but I, I just that just occurred to me that could have been. Because lemonade was more special than Kool-Aid. Mm. So, uh, Did you have lemonade stands? But, Probably not. Uh, no, no. Okay. I don't think, maybe some of the, I don't even know if the town kids do. I don't remember any of them talking about that. Uh some, I, have a, I have a question about this house. I mean, it is right yeah. across from the church, the Catholic church, where I imagine you yeah. went to yeah. church. And it's across from the school, and I don't know where the school was. Is that how it, I think, was the school always in that place? So, you know, the current the family school? that lives there, you know, they're, they have a big family. And I feel like yeah. a lot of times the family goes over, the extended family goes over there after church, um, or it's kind of a gathering yeah. place after school. Did you find it being the same thing for you as a child? Yes, we did. Mm. At, at that time, the church was not sitting where it is. It was sitting on the northwest corner of that block. So that was a vacant place when I was visiting that house. That was just an open spot. And I remember very much when my Aunt Mary and Uncle Sam moved there, there was not much of a yard. And uh, Father Shear, who is at Mary and Uncle Sam's son, he was probably, well, he was in high school by the time, I think he graduated in 1937 from high school. And he went to St. Joseph's High School all of, throughout his whole high school. Uh, they lived out on the farm for several of those years. So I'm sure that, yeah, they might have even bought it in 1936 because, he stayed with us one year of high school because they were still quite a ways from town. But his sister and his sister Louise stayed with my parents, even in first grade, because at that point they lived in town when my dad was working in the garage. And uh, she, she, they just, she had a lot of memories of being with my mom, you know, as a young kid too so it's really wonderful to have all the and she also wrote a history about their family which is really good I have so much history on that family three of them wrote family histories three of the shares father Shear, his older sister Louise and his younger brother Cliff all wrote family histories and they kind of cover a lot of different things so it's really good that I have that because our families were entwined, you know. You know, it would be kind of nice for us to do is if they weren't a thousand pages, we could get those scanned and then we could link them in the show notes because if we're teasing about them right now, it would be nice if people could access yeah. those digitally. So I'll put it all. I have down. copies of all those histories. Uh, I need to, I've, I've just been kind of going through Father Shears because uh, and I have given the museum some of them, and my goal is I want to get this kind of, because I have so many papers of his, and much of it is repeats and copies and getting that straightened out. 
And then we can. And scan I it. also have <laughs> some stories of our great grandparents and the parents who immigrated. It, it's amazing how much information has been gathered for me, mm-hmm. and I have it. And I and it's I'm just getting it together a little bit. But that I would like to do. I'm I'm kind of doing that mostly. I want to make several copies of that. And I want to leave one at the museum, but I want to get this extensive history put together and, uh, you know, leave it here because I think, you know, they were pretty active in the community. But but getting back to the big house, that yes. space across from the house was a, a empty block, and Aunt Mary's yard was just sand. Hmm. And, of course, during the early years of the 30s, you know, it was stealthy. 33 was a really bad year. And uh, I can remember Father Shear seeding it to lawn grass. And he seeded it, and they had, they had their own well, and they, had, um, they were connected to the, to the electric um, company that city owned a little, uh, an electric company that produced direct current, DC current. And so Aunt Mary had a toaster. That was really an electric toaster. Mm. That was really something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can remember having creamed peas on toast mm. for a Friday lunch there. I just thought that was out of this world. Mm. I love the story. And okay. uh, and and and, and Father seated that lawn that lawn, and then he covered it with gunny sacks for weeks, for months, until the started to sprout them coming up through the gunny sacks a little bit. I think I think they might have left them in place because mm. the grass grew right through it and it kind of held the sand and mm. it held the moisture better then. And it was probably the And then he dug a, a goldfish pond for my aunt, which has been filled in for years. Mm. And it had a bird bath and a fountain that came out the bird bath. And that was all, it was just connected with the hose. From but the there's house. still a bird that bath. A Do you think it's in the same place? There's still a bird bath. Do you think but it was that... in the same? There's still a bird bath in the yard. Do you think it was in the yes. same place? Yes, it is. And, and there was a lily pond around that that's been filled in with dirt. And of course, other people that moved there, that was a hazard, they thought. I don't think anybody ever fell in it. It wasn't that deep, but you know how it is. Right. Uh, it was probably a liability. Well, the current and owner so is. My Aunt Mary Go ahead. put goldfish in it. She had goldfish in the house all the time, which was another really nicety that nobody else had. And she had her goldfish bowl sitting on a table in front of the south window in the dining room. And then in the summer, she put the goldfish out there. And the first summer she did, she was just amazed because a thistle blew into the pond and it stayed there. And pretty soon she had lots of little goldfish. (laughs) And the other goldfish got so big, she had so many goldfish in the fall, she was giving them away, you know. <laughs> How old were you around so, this time, do you think? I would say uh, that was probably about 1940. Yeah. So I would have been about six. seven. Yeah, six yeah. or seven. I, I love it. Probably in, I, I, I started school when I was five because my birthday was in December and you had to be six before the first of January. So I was, my birthday was the 19th of December, and I said I did struggle in school all the time because I was immature. I wasn't especially gifted. I struggled, but I got through school, and I, my friends were always 
better students, but they were helps. Mm-hmm. So that was great. They kept me going and inspired me. Mm-hmm. I love this goldfish story. So, and I better, uh, I better let the uh, current owner, who's got a very immaculate yes, yard, let, know. Let know about we that. better let them know yeah, that they've got that, a, a goldfish. That in there, yeah. That's where the goldfish laid their eggs. And she also had beautiful water lilies in that pond. Mm. Oh, they were, I can remember them blooming. I remember the pink ones. I can just remember. And they, and they had big, broad, dark green leaves. And it, it was just, to me, that was just a wonderful thing, you know. And I, you know, the beautiful thing was, you know, you're young, you're innocent. Never, never thought, I wish my mom had this. I never thought that. Oh, I yeah. Just but eventually your mom did have that. by it. You know? No. She, well, you know, by the time they moved there, it, of course, had been filled in. So, oh. Yeah. I think, I'm not sure if... Uh, the people who bought it from Aunt Mary filled it in or not. I'm not real sure who filled that in. And to clarify. It's been filled in a long time. But. Yeah. To clarify, I don't think we mentioned this on the recording. I think you were talking about it before we hit the record button, that there were some bankers, I think you called them Sundmeyers, that built the house. S-U-D-M-E-I-E-R-S, I think. And I believe he was a banker that built the house. Yes. And they were maybe losing it due to taxes potentially and that's not where your they uncle were. and that's not where your uncle sam bought it from i don't think but they bought the house yes he he okay. bought the house directly from sudmeyers okay when he heard that they were losing it because of taxes i think my dad's family were taught to be very generous and grateful and considerate so he gave the sudmeyers the money to pay the taxes and he gave them some additional cash because he just felt so bad for them. And they I know they moved to Minneapolis. Mm. Interesting. And uh, I know for years, Mrs. Sudmeyer, it maybe wasn't in the early years, but later on when things were better for them, she would always make handmade knit mittens or make something handmade, embroidery, crocheted, and she would send it to our bazaar mm. and donate it so we could sell some items in from her. That's pretty amazing. So I think they felt a connection with Timberlake as well. Right. So your parent... Well, or, those little things are nice to know. Yes. So about you're, the goodness of people. Yes. Your uncle um, your uncle Sam and Aunt Mary lived there from 1937 to 1945. And then, you know, later your parents lived there from 1957 to 1968. Yes. I do believe my uncle Sam sold it to... Uh, I, I think this is nice. Mary might want to know this. I believe he sold it to, they were probably about my parents' age at that time. Aunt Mary sold it to, uh, after Uncle Sam was killed in 1940, she stayed in the house. Mm -hmm. And he was killed in a dynamite explosion at the mine. And I just read how that explosion took place. I just thought he dropped his cigarette. But Father Scher wrote in his history that his dad put a stick of dynamite in the hole. He'd dig a hole, put the dynamite in. And then he sprinkled some powder on top of that, and we, he would have a long fuse on the dynamite. And Uncle Sam, but it was, you know, he would be fairly close, but the fuse was long, and he would usually light the fuse with his cigarette. But he also put this explosive powder that exploded quick, more quickly on top of the dynamite. The dynamite was supposed to ignite that as well. 
mm-hmm. to blow off a bunch of dirt so that they can move the dirt easier. And they feel that some hot ashes from his cigarette fell in onto that explosive powder, mm-hmm. and it just blew up immediately. And he was killed, and another man was injured. I can't, i kind of thinking it was a Kellogg, but I'm not sure. I'll have to reread that. But, but I do want to make that available to the museum. Right. And we want to talk about how your parents moved in there. But before we get to that, since we're still on Uncle Sam, yeah. you mentioned uh, mm-hmm. before we started recording that your husband, just as a connection piece, that your husband yeah. used to go to school in Firesteel. So he grew up, so we're talking about town, the big houses in town, it's across from the church and the school. We're talking about Firesteel can be, it's about 10 miles west of Timberlake and about, and I want to say Alfred grew up seven miles west of Timberlake. And so he and his... Well, and- he actually, at this time, he lived oh, yes. three miles west okay. of Firesteel. Okay, yeah, yes. seven miles west of Timberlake, yeah. Yes, so he was about three miles from his, I didn't know, but the country school in in Firesteel, so they would... That was the town school in Firesteel that he was going to. Okay. Eventually, yeah. he went to the country school after they moved okay. to the other farm. Okay, so yeah. tell us... Initially, he and Firesteel started his story. in Firesteel. Yeah, tell us about what he would do okay. to get to school. Well, that they at that time, they initially walked. And I don't know if they walked in all weather. And I know at that time also his dad was working in the Runkle coal mine for Runkle with pay of a dollar a day. And I, I think he told me he got $3 if he had his horses. Now, Father Sure, we have some different figures there. Father Sure had that they got $10 a day with their horses. I'm not sure that. I, I, I'm not sure which is correct. Grandpa just kind of told me this as I remember it. Anyhow, my Uncle Sam was driving to Firesteel to go to work every morning, and Phyllis and Pius and Alfred kind of figured out about what time he was going to go by. So they would start working a little ahead of that time, and then my Uncle Sam would pick them up. And that is just a little something that Alfred told me, you know, when we were going to get in stuff, that mm-hmm. how his Uncle Sam, he said, we'd just start out about the time we knew a little ahead of time Sam would show up, and he'd, he'd almost always stop and pick us up. And yeah. take us. So that was a big deal. It's yeah. cute that your families are connected because we're talking about your husband's family. Well, so I said that kind of was a big, yeah, mm-hmm. that he knew my uncle, too. That was kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was nice. And uh, it was just kind of a uh, reflection of the time that people were so considerate. And, of course, it was very safe to do all of that at that time. Yeah. So. Well, tell me about um, your parents moving into the house in 1957 and kind of how, anything you know about that time. Um, you know, they had sold their farm to you and your husband, Alfred, and then they moved to that big house. Yeah. But there was someone between, you know, your aunt, Mary, living there and your parents moving there. But tell us what it was like yeah. when they moved there. You were about... Uh, actually, were... my parents bought it. Mm-hmm. J.D. Kessling and Mabel actually had bought the house and were living there when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, they kept it until 1957, at which time J.D. had built a new addition to his hardware store on Main Street and put an apartment above it. And he and Mabel were living in that apartment and uh, are moving into it. And actually, we moved on New Year's Day or New Year's Eve of 1956. And uh, it was just kind of strange because... First, they moved Kessling's furniture out of his house. Pius and Alfred did most of the back work for this moving day. It was a, 
but people didn't have quite as much as they have now. And they moved Kessling stuff into their new apartment. And then they moved my mom and dad stuff out of the house on the farm that we were buying. And then they moved our stuff from Fire Steel to the farmhouse. So a little joke aside, at the end of the day, Pius said, I don't know why you guys didn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. We should have just moved Alfred's stuff into J.D.'s house, left Nick's stuff in that house, mm-hmm. <laughs> and Nick could have left his stuff at the farm. It saved a heck of a lot of work. Yeah. I, said, I don't think Mabel Kessling would have been very happy with my furniture at that point. It was right. all used and reused. <laughs> but, right. A man's <laughs> idea. Was, uh, yeah. Well, it was a labor-saving idea, which is how men think, and that's not dumb. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Now, but they did it, and I, I can remember moving all of the clothes and towels and sheets and everything like that in the car. I think Grandma Beagler kept the children for me that day because my mom was busy packing and moving. And uh, I was so lucky to have two grandmas for a while. And then uh, I just moved, you know, all the kitchenware and, and gro- we didn't have many groceries like I eventually had a cupboard full, but, uh, I moved everything that I that was loose in the car, I think. Mm-hmm. Made a few trips that way. So didn't, it didn't seem like a big deal at all. It's just you did it. Mm-hmm. How, um, I how, just remember doing it. Yeah. How, tell us about um, the experience of your parents living there. But I do have one other question. I think it was your mom's mom died, and I thought she died there, but maybe I made that up. No, no, okay. she did not. Okay. She died north of Timberlake, in a house that my grandfather had built where Hooley, on the same quarter that Hooley and Bruce Maher live on. And that was in 1921. My grandmother, my mom was 22 years old when her mother died, and she was, as I understood it, the only one with her. Maybe Grandpa was there, but... uh, They knew she she was dying? she told me... Yes, they knew she was dying. She had been ill... Mom thought she had stomach cancer, and I don't know if it was if it was ever diagnosed or anything. But you know, if she could have had a gallbladder that broke and got infection, you don't, you know. Right. Nobody knows exactly. My dad reincinerated one time. Oh, a lot of kids died of the bellyache. I'm sure that that was appendix, an appendix that ruptured. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of. I know several of our cousins died young, you know, seven, eight years old. And, and they did, by that time, they did diagnose that as appendix. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so her mother died and my mom said, I was with her and I got her ready. She didn't say, but she said, I curled her hair. I shut her eyes. I put coins on them to hold them shut. I don't, I think there's a reflex, reflex. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when people die, sometimes their eyes open. It doesn't always happen, but she was probably instructed that's what to do. I'm sure she she dressed her. I I I was been thinking about this. Mm. Wasn't didn't they embalm people then? I don't know. I we could. She is ask buried. Someone. My grandmother is buried in the Timberlake Cemetery, and a kind of remarkable thing was she was a hundred percent Irish, which my mom was also, mm-hmm. and her little. Footstone reads, Margaret Minahan, wife of Patrick Gormley, <laughs> born in Limerick, Ireland. Mm. And that's just, 
that just always touches me that my grandma was a, had a strong identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know we have, I don't think we have any gourmet relations in that I know of. There might be some in Minneapolis. There was only one boy that had children, I believe, in my mom's family. The girls all married, and they never had the gourmet name. And then my, her oldest brother had one son. And he did have eight children, and I so there must be. But he moved to Minneapolis, and I lost touch with them. But uh, but I I thought her her the engraving on her tombstone just says a little bit about she was a strong person. She had mm-hmm. her own identity. Yeah. She was Margaret Minahan first, and then she became the wife of Patrick Gorman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. it. And being born in Limerick, Ireland, was a big deal too. Yeah, that's so cool. I will go look for that. So yeah. Um, as we're wrapping up here with the big house, what are, do you have any other thoughts or memories of the big house or anything about your parents living there that you want to share? Uh, well, mom and dad, like, especially mom didn't get to live there too long because she died. They moved in, you know, New Year's Eve of 56 and she died. Uh, let's see the. Was it the 20th of December? She died shortly. She was buried on New Year's Eve. She died the 21st of December in uh, 1963. But they moved in 57. So was that seven years? We still had Christmas there. It was nice. I could have some time there with my children. Mm -hmm. But they don't have, they have some memories. Another big memory is, you know how there's a door from the, big living room by the fireplace is a door up there mm-hmm. that goes through the bedroom and then that door goes into the little square hallway that has five doors in it I think yeah and run into the living room one into the kitchen one into the upstairs and two mm-hmm. into the bedrooms yes ah uh, and that was always I can remember running around that chasing Darlene her chasing me and my kids doing the same thing <laughs> when they were young enough and I don't know if they even remember that because Julie was Probably 11. Was she 11 when mom died? 63. No, she was uh, 10. She was 10. And then Jerome and Marty were younger. And those three can remember some things about my mom and the house a little bit. But, uh, you know, that was one memory I had. We sold it to Tom Guires after dad Kind of, he he had did not hold up well after mom died, and oh yes, we talked about had that. dementia, and uh, yeah, and I probably talked about that. And then Tom McGuire bought the house, and it was wonderful to see it because they took such good care of it. And Mar stripped all the woodwork and redid it, and it was just beautiful. And I was disappointed it was repainted mm-hmm. uh, before uh, Cody and Mary bought it because it it had beautiful woodwork, but. Everybody has their own taste. What color? So Are you saying it was wood colored your whole life? Not color, not painted. It was not painted at all. No, it had the original finish on it when Tom and Marce McGuire bought it from my mother and dad. Okay. And then Marceline, you know, it was quite a dark finish, and I think it wasn't oak. I would say maybe it was fir. It wasn't pine, I don't think. And and it was just dark. It was very. It had a lot of character, you know. Uh, and uh, the French doors especially and she refinished those she did everything and she did a meticulous job and you know and then it got 
pink and white, but that that was kind of a trendy thing, and people do that. So it's just you know the right. way it is. Right, for sure. Well, that was yeah. fun, and, to- and it does look nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's really, I mean, it's a special house and it's probably especially special just because it's kind There's of like a triad. With the, say. With... the living room, mm-hmm. I can remember, especially the living room of my Aunt Mary lived there, it was called stippled paint. And it was kind of a lot like what they do now with rag rolling and different using different colors, you know. Mm-hmm. And the plaster was kind of rough and it was just a, a hint of a light sky blue and beige and a little grayish white, those three colors. And the blue was probably, uh, but it was very faint blue, very light. And I just, I just marveled at that paint. I didn't have any clue how they did it until they started doing this rag rolling and all this paint, you know, with two or three colors on the wall. It was very, uh, I want to say modeled, you know, mm-hmm. that's the M-O-T-T-L-E-D. It was, mm. yes. it just blended so well and it didn't, it was just, I thought it was just great. Mm. And then the next people wallpapered over it. But, mm. yeah, it would be hard but to you know, that, for... that's just what goes on in houses now. I don't think there's a lick of that wallpaper left. Mm-hmm. They even wallpapered ceilings. Mm-hmm. The gal that bought, the, when the people that bought it next, she was really quite a decorator. Mm-hmm. But, uh, cool. Love it. Thanks so much for yeah. talking about the big house. Okay. Great. Okay, you bet. Mm-hmm. Yep.